Hey everyone, this is George Cross, and welcome back to the highlights from 2022. This is episode number two of the highlights and the theme of this week's highlight video uh, and podcast is focusing on learning together and how we network with one another. And one of the things that I say is truly a hope for, for school, for my own kids, for all students, is that kids understand the impact that they have on the classroom, that they feel they're contributing to that space. And when you actually look at remote learning spaces, some of the teachers that were really effective in that space, they ensure that kids knew if I don't actually show up to this virtual learning session, to this classroom, then the whole class loses out on what I have to contribute. And I think for me, that was a really important focus. And it's something I've been focusing on forever. Whenever I do a talk, even though I'm there to, you know, share, you know, my work, the things I'm doing, the first thing I do is say, hey, here's a hashtag, here's a Twitter handle, because it is so beneficial when we actually all learn together, when we all connect and share these ideas. And my hope from that space, even though I'm the one that was brought in a talk many times, is that I become better from that as well. And the only way it can become better in that space is if I learn and I'm willing to learn from others. And what you'll see is a kind of theme from these guests is how basically when you take that time to learn, we all become better. And it, it's funny because I, I, I challenge educators because some people are very frustrated that, you know, kids were skipping remote learning sessions. And I say, well, you did the same thing. And sometimes people think, oh, like I didn't skip it. I showed up, you know, to teach. And I, and I said, that's not what I'm talking about. Did you actually skip when you went to college? And you knew you could get the PowerPoint or the notes and nobody would notice if you're not there, right? It was all about the content, not about the connection. And so if you knew you didn't need to be there, nobody would notice. A lot of us chose not to show. And it's funny because people are like very reluctant to admit they did that. And I always tell them like there's a teacher shortage. No one's going to fire you for doing that 20 years ago, but whatever. And so it's just kind of thinking about that, how the spaces become better when we actually are willing to learn from others, that we open those spaces, we invite people to share learning. It doesn't mean that they're interrupting uh, or disruptive, but there's so many different ways we can take advantage of learning from each other. And you'll see some of those ideas, some of those suggestions in the highlight video here that we're sharing today and some of the themes from our wonderful guests. I hope you enjoy this episode of the best of 2022 from the Innovators Mindset podcast. So I thought about this and kind of like I, I struggle with it, to be honest with you, when I first heard it, because, you know, I, you know, it's kind of like the whole uh, pay attention to the details, don't sweat the small stuff. Like, what is it, right? And I guess it depends on how you look at things. And what might seem insignificant to you might actually be very significant to others. So here's something I was thinking about from a professional level. One of the things that I do when I interact, you know, when I'm teaching classes, when I'm uh, connecting with people is I really focus on getting names right and remembering names. And again, I wish I was perfect in all the stuff that I talk about, but it's something that I focus on because I know that it matters when people say not only your name and address you by your name, but actually say it in the proper way. And I remember actually talking to um, a, a fellow speaker and they shared some advice with me that was really I actually think this originated from uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. 
And basically, the the advice was the the most powerful word word in the, in the in the human language is hearing your own name, right? And one of the things that I've done, and I, I try to do to really kind of personalize when I do keynotes, when I have conversations, is basically um, have these little stories about people in the audience, people that I connected with before, and saying their names. And not only does it actually make the person, I think, feel really kind of you know. Um, honored that I'm, I'm, I'm bringing them into the experience of my story and connecting that and not just, you know, doing it in meaningful ways. But I think it also says something to the rest of the group that's listening that what I'm doing right now is I am here, right? I'm here in this space. And it's not me just doing my thing. It's me honoring where I am at this moment and why it's so important. It's kind of like when you think of the the you know the rock band you know addressing like hello cleveland right i don't know why i always say cleveland but when you get the city wrong it kind of offends people right and so i think that's something to me to making me think about that but it's not just saying their names but like remembering details and conversations that we had and being able to address that and a lot of times people will come up to me and will say things like hey i remember this and i said and i can i i do my best to remember these little moments and to kind of interact and have those connections and I think that those little details make a huge difference and for me a lot of times um, those actually lead to more opportunities those lead to connections because you know I think one of the things I've always struggled with is when someone talks about relationships in keynotes but actually they won't let you have direct access to them you got to go through 84 people to have a conversation with that person or it's like don't look me in the eye and they're rider kind of thing uh, and it's like, do you really mean that, right? And I think to me, um, I always try to live by what I say, right? And vice versa. I'm I'm going to ask you a question and I swear this was you. But if it isn't, then you got to pretend it was you okay. and make this up. I swear that in an interview, you tweeted a question out and asked for help. Am I right on this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, uh, it, it, it's true. So this goes back. So this goes back to my when I, when I was in the interview to become superintendent, yeah. what they, what they did was, um, this is now what year 2009, right? So 2000, uh, October, yeah, October, like of 2009, I guess this is. And, and you had an hour to, they give you a question and then you had an hour and then you had to present to the board and fit with a 15 minutes, sort of a succinct, you know, it was kind of, it was one of those like, what does the next 10 years look like in education in our community? Kind like of an hour before your interview? Is that so an hour before your interview, they give you the question so that you can prepare. If you want to make some slides, you want to write right. notes, and then you come in and make a presentation to the trustees. Yeah. And so as soon as I got the question, I posted it on Twitter. Yeah. Which was at the time was like, what are you doing? Like, you're right. why, why are you cheating? Why are you cheating on the question? Right. And, and, and I, and then I, rather than, rather than present on the topic precisely what I went into the interview and said was, I go, you should, you should care less about what I think, but I want to tell you about how I'm going to go and get the best information. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is I'm going to leverage my network. And over the last hour, I put this, your question out to the smartest people I know. And right. here's some of the things they've told me what, what we should be talking about. And so, you know, that notion that when you hire, you know, it's, in the old age, it, it, it was like, you know, it was the, it was the network of people you went through university right. with or at the country club in our, in our, for you and me, the, our network has been our digital networks. And right. so when you bring us in, you're bringing your, our digital networks with you.
Yeah, because like it's like that old adage, it's not like not it's not who you it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like it's not what you know, it's who you're connected to. When I first acquired the school, um, I met with the teachers like the first day. And so I was like, what do you want me to know about plumber? Like, what should I know about it? And so it was often repeated from the teachers that we're the best kept secret in Cedar Hill. People don't really know about us. The school's kind of tucked off. It was kind of like the school that was over there. Um, people weren't really at the bit to attend. Um, it was just kind of like just there. And so after meeting the teachers and hearing their passion and their love for the school, it was my sole mission that everything I wanted to do was to build, encourage, and uplift the teachers, the community, and the students at that school. And so my non-negotiable for being a principal was culture and climate and having an expectation of learning. Um, we had low test scores at the time. We had a high social economic uh, population. And so I came in strong. And to be honest with you, George, there were a lot of people. I was young at the time. I was, I think, 32 as a principal. And a lot of teachers there had literally been there like 30 years, like mm -hmm. for real. And so here I am. I'm new. I'm fresh. I'm young. I'm exciting. And I was kind of hit with resistance at first. Like, why are we doing these things? Why, why is this important for us to celebrate and to engage and to take the time to have conversations and really get to know our kids and our families? Um, but it was a non-negotiable for me and I was relentless at it. And so everything that we did on the campus, I would tell the staff, we're creating experiences. Mm. It would create every time someone steps a foot on this campus, every time you have a conversation with the teacher, every time a kid walks in your door, you are creating an experience. And what experience are we going to create on this campus? Positive culture and climate was is was the standard. And so, for example, let me give you an example. Most times when it's like meet the teacher, you just go to the school, you get a slip of paper, you show them mm -hmm. who your teacher is, and that's it. No, experiences. And so we did it like every year we had a theme. So like one year we did like it was a circus. And so we, we actually made like a ticket booth. We had like red carpet. We had a popcorn machine. We had lady outside doing bubbles. We hired a DJ. Um, you went to the ticket booth to get your ticket to find out who your teacher was. And then the clowns took you down the hallway to, to, to the room. We decorated like we made people when they walked in that building feel like, wow. And when you do that, you're setting that tone that number one, they can care enough about me to create an environment to make me feel welcome. Um, and then mm. you will see kids' eyes light up. We were in a low socioeconomic school. My kids didn't have those experiences that the kids across town had. So they may not have been able to go to the circus. They might not have been able to go to a concert or to have different people come into the campus. And so I didn't let that be an excuse. I brought those experiences to my kids and to my family and to my community. And I'm so very proud of that. And so everything we did, so, for example, I, Deion Sanders came to our school to talk to our really? dad. Let me tell you, let me tell you this story. So we had all pro. So my, again, I was building culture and climate and I, I, I knew that there was a lack of fathers and dads in our schools and the presence of our students. So I wanted to, to cultivate that. I wanted to generate getting father figures, getting dads involved in the school. And so we had an all dad, all pro dads program. And so I'm like, oh, I really want to go big. I really want someone who's credible, who can speak to the dads. So 
this is when I first got on Twitter. I was not who I am now on Twitter. I was like, like nobody, <laughs> and I'm still a nobody. I'm but dying. Are you? You? I'm like. I'm dying right you. now. I'm dying. You. I know so it's coming. I, I'm dying. Well, let me tell you. So I literally. So Dion at the time lived in Cedar Hill, which is where yeah. our district is, and so I knew he lived there, and so I got on Twitter, and one day I tweeted <laughs> him, and I was like, "Hey, Dion." I was like, I'm a principal in Cedar Hill. I need you to come to my school August, no, October. It's like October 29th for All Pro Dads Day. Well, of course, I didn't hear anything. It's Deion Sanders, right? <laughs> so the next day I get on Twitter. Hey, Dion, I know that you saw my tweet yesterday. You didn't say anything, but I need you to come October 29th for All Pro Dads Day. George, I lied to you. Not, and Twitter's open, so you can go back and look years ago. I tweeted that man every single day every day <laughs> every day for over a month i had kids get on there hey I love it. come come talk to my dad about being a dad or what like i had teachers get on there every day i would wear like a jersey and be like what's up like <laughs> so um and, and so i never forget one day i was uh my my girlfriend my best friend she got married and i was in jackson mississippi over the weekend and so i was at her wedding reception and i pulled out my phone to tweet him because he didn't respond <laughs> for like the 45th day and i see that i had a message from him in my inbox and i was like oh my god oh my god then i got nervous because i was like he's probably gonna like <laughs> Hey, like cease and assist, like stop, right. tweet, like leave me alone, lady. Like, and so he um, he responded and he said, um, contact my agent at blah 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 blah. And so I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. He knows I, like he knows that I exist. And so that that uh, following week when we got back, so I called the um, I called the agent or whatever, and somehow he was on the phone or in the car with them. And so I was like. The first thing I was like, Dion, I don't have any money. I can't pay you. I know that you're worth everything. I said, but I need you to come to my campus. The kids deserve it. The dads need to hear from you. Like, please, like with everything in me, just come to our campus. Our, you know, our community needs you. He was like, girl, uh, it's October. You know, it's football season. I can't come. You know, he's like, do you not know who I am? I'm like, yes, I know who you are. I'll change the date. Whatever date you want it to be done, I'll change it. Just come. And so we were literally on the phone, literally. And my secretary buzzed in and she was like, um, Mr. Smith, here? And I was like, shut up. Oh my God. And so he was happened to be in the neighborhood. So he rolled, he rolled up and he came to the school and he was there. And I was just in shock. <laughs> I was like, This is amazing. Deion Sanders is literally sitting here. So the power of social media, um, but it, I didn't even know I was gonna talk about that, but just just the experiences, mm -hmm. how it was so important to me. I was relentless about bringing my kids the best and, 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 and highlighting it and marketing. I went to Twitter. So we had a superintendent and he came years ago and he was like, you guys have to get on Twitter. And my first thought was, I'm not getting on Twitter. I already have Facebook. I already have Instagram and I don't have time for another platform. But I'm also that person, like, if you give me a challenge, I want to exceed it. So right. when he said that, you know, we have to get on Twitter. Cool. I'm all in. Let's go. So I, I um, got on Twitter. I told my teachers and they, of course, at first weren't receptive to it. So I said, hey, you have to tweet at least once a week. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not that hard. At least once a week. Show the great things that are happening in your classroom. 
You're doing the work anyway. You're engaging. You guys are phenomenal teachers. When you're doing a small lesson or you're doing a, an, a presentation or the kids are engaged, take a picture, put it on social. And so I started promoting everything, every day, all the time, the great things that were happening on our campus. George, when I tell you, after four years of being at that campus, the culture and climate had completely changed. We went from the lowest performing district uh, school in the district to having distinctions, to performing mm -hmm. at the highest level possible. We had the highest waiting list for students that want to enroll That's in our amazing. campus. I mean, we were like the campus. People wanted to go to Plummer. And so, you know, I'm just so thankful that social media was a, was a there so that the, that I could show what was happening. I could share that with our parents and our community. And I could highlight the great things that were happening um, on our campuses and how amazing the teachers were. And that we created a culture in a school where kids felt important. They felt valued. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, when you set the tone that when you walk in this building that you're loved and you're valued, think about what that does for your right. ability to learn. You take those barriers and those guards down where students feel like I can be vulnerable. I can right. say to the teacher that I don't understand. I know that my classmate isn't going to ridicule or bully me because we didn't tolerate that. Um, teachers felt free to think outside of the box and create lessons that you know, not just textbook. Right. I, all the teachers, I want you to go outside and hang from the tree or I want to see you like, you know, down the hallway with chalk painting on the walls or whatever, because it just matters. Book is about gratitude. So like you, you better knock this one out of the park. It's a big one. Okay. So what, like when you, when you hear the term gratitude, like what does that even mean? I feel like a lot of pressure here, but and I will say that it is a ton of pressure, but I will say, um, you know, I, I write books, not because I have all the answers, but because I want answers. Mm -hmm. And so it was really so fun for me to take this deep dive on what is gratitude? Why should we be practicing it? How is it going to impact um, our learning communities? And so what I, what I kind of came to understand is it's like this recognizing and appreciating something in your life. Mm -hmm. And then what my deep dive kind of revealed, and I looked at the science and the experts and Dr. Robert Emmons talks about like, yes, it's that, but it's also acknowledging that the external and a lot of times it's people are kind of what bring that positive to us. So like something good mm -hmm. has happened and yes, sometimes it is ourselves, but a lot of times it's other people helping right. us in big or small ways. And so to me, that was like the really interesting thing because learning is very social. Our learning communities are connected. It's all about relationships, right? Yep. And so that was really something I wanted to dive deeper into. And, and I think, and this is, this is, we were kind of talking about this when the book was going on. Cause I think a lot of times people here are like, Oh, gratitude is like fluff stuff. Right. And like, right. I'm just calling what it is. Right. Sure. Yeah. And one of the conversations that we said is like, Hey, you have to show how this actually improves learning. It's not like just a, it's just not just like, Ooh, I'm like really into gratitude. And I think it's important. It's like, Hey, this is actually beneficial to, to kids learning. And now that now this is not one of the questions, but like, can you give us an example of something that you found that was like, Hey, this is actually, this is why it's beneficial to learning in schools. Yeah. So gosh, there's a few things I'm going to try and articulate. Only do one because this is a teaser. Fine. Okay, fine. You gotta, you um, gotta get the book to get all the other parts. A lot of pressure. Um, 
I, I would even just say looking at the neuroscience of mm. when you're experiencing gratitude and that serotonin and dopamine that's released, like, and, and I know Sean Aker talks about this, like mm. that actually floods the brain and turns on like all the learning centers. I hear what you're saying. People are going to think gratitude and they're going to think fluff, but I'm really trying right. to bring the science and the heart into this. I want I want people to know both. Like, yes, it's it's not all, um, you know, and Mandy Frey, like she's going to be on the Evolving with Gratitude podcast. And she's like, <laughs> yes, yes, for Mandy. Mandy's a multiple time <laughs> guest on the podcast here. Too. Of course, she's awesome. And, you know, she said something to the effect of, you know, it's not like all, you know, rainbows and chasing bunnies in a field. Like it's mm. apparently- Although that would be fun. That would be fun. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really much deeper than that. Generally from there and what I found now is it, it's all still the same thing. Like when you have that conversation mm -hmm. and a lot of times just getting people to really kind of see where, where you're coming from, but also seeing where they're coming from, yeah. you know, and, oh. and, and getting them just to see like, Hey, look, we might disagree, you know, like a parent mm -hmm. could have disagreed with you. They might've said, no, you should have suspended that kid. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe I could have, but this is why I felt this was yeah. the, the the right way. But once again, you were engaging people in a very authentic conversation and being very real with them. Yeah. So it still alleviates that, that pressure that I like to say that pressure comes from when you're not having that clear um, communication. Yeah. And that social capital that, you know, I built in communities when I was administrator, I'm sure I know you would do the exact same thing. Every morning I'm outside greeting families, talking to kids, talking to, you know, um, parent in the hallway sees me and says, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? I would never say, Hey, you need to book an appointment. I was just like, Hey, yeah, no problem. Come on in. If like, if I have, if I'm free and then when, when something goes wrong, then, then it was way easier to deal with, right? But if that was the first time I ever interacted with that parent, they don't know anything about me. They don't know if I care about their kid. They don't like that. That's then that turn that five minute conversation could you know it could turn into hours, and then calls the superintendent and all that other stuff, right? Can I can I chime in on that for a second? Please, please, because because when you said that, it brought me to something and something that really kind of hit home for me as an administrator. So I, I think I made the comment earlier. My, my first administrative job was at a middle school mm -hmm. and it was actually in a different district. So the, the district that I had started in teaching, I actually went to a different district yep. to become middle school assistant principal. And, you know, I was 25. I think I had just yep. turned 25, 24, right. 20. So I was super young, you know, really young as, a, as an administrator. Yep. Right. So get to middle school obviously start making those relationships, right? So I was there maybe two years. Yeah, I was there two years. Then I went back to grad school at UGA. So we were gone for several years and then I moved back. And I ended up moving back in the district where I had started my administrative career at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And I happened to then get a job at the high school up the street from the middle school where I used to be an assistant principal. Right. Right. And those same little kids were now half of them were like grown kids because they were some of them were looking me in the eye. And I'm about six, yeah. six, three, six, four, everybody. So some of those kids hit a huge growth spurt in those couple of years I was gone. But what was crazy was how those relationships then carried right. over right. when I got back. 
those same – oh, Mr. Wood. Like, they're uh, like, oh, you haven't changed. I mean, you look a little older. Your hairline you just start – what did uh, one mom just say? Mr. Wood's is starting to fade a little bit, honey. I'm like, yeah, you know, age is catching up to me. This stress that these kids giving me. But but all all joking aside, it it I remember it was such a surreal feeling because – Thinking, just thinking about how how some nuggets that you put years ago right. and laying the foundation is playing dividends several years later. Because, like I said, they hadn't seen totally. me for what two, maybe three years, and Rock come in the door. Oh, Mr. Woods, hey, what's up? Oh, Mr. Woods, up. Oh, we know how you feel about this. My bad. I mean, it just felt good just to kind of um, validate the impact of building those relationships. It's like, it's like, uh, if you know anything about stocks, ETFs, things like that, the earlier invest, the more you pays off the longer. It's like compound interest. Like when you said that basically those years going on over and over and over again, that compound interest, you know, accumulates very, very quickly. For example, knowing students, here's a question right. for you. How do you, what are some suggestions or strategies for teachers to do this? Right? Like, cause I know we can kind of dig into like, what does that mean? But like, what are some ways that teachers can do this where you have the Nick Sabans of the world, and then, you know, uh, the opposite personalities. What are some ways that we can do that? Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to start with that last part first. Like if you, if, if the question is, how do I know my students better? Um, you have to be intentional about that. You have to talk yeah. to them yeah. and you have to ask them questions. Um, like, uh, be, be, uh, be a student of your students, right? Like ask them, uh, things that aren't related to your subject area. Mm -hmm. What are your hobbies? What are your interests? What team are you on? Um, and, and then look, if you have a terrible memory, like I do, well then make a spreadsheet or keep notes. Like right. not, don't interrogate the kid and write it down in front of them, but like keep notes and remember, uh, uh, George is really fascinated with college football. So right. after the game, look at him and say, Oh my gosh, did you see that interception? Right. That is knowing. And that provides a connection with him and that itself won't make him learn math better, but it will lower his guard a little bit. It will, it will put him in a place where he can be receptive to the other things you do as part of teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and this is the thing, George, like humans are incredibly complex so there isn't yeah. one thing to do. And you said earlier, different. Uh, so teachers need to, uh, there's nothing wrong with teachers having different personality types and different right. approaches themselves. So just because you're gruff doesn't mean you're hateful to kids, right? right? right. And so maybe there are kids that that's what they actually connect with. So I want to say something I, I said on the short broadcast is if you treat no matter what your personality is or your approach, if you treat each of your students with dignity all right. the time, then your style is fine. Right. Um, and, and to your to your bigger question, do these things hold equal weight? Like my research in the book wasn't intended to explore how these things interact with each other and which is more important. It, it, it's it's meant it was meant as an exploration, like to to right. notice. Um, so what I would say is, um, if you uh, describe someone, uh, so your example was someone who is good at instruction, right? Really good at planning, but 
doesn't know how to know students, the right. argument would actually be they're not teaching. Right. Like that's not yeah. all that's right. of teaching. It's incomplete. That doesn't mean that it has no value. But then there are some things on here that the research and what the profession expects of a teacher, there are a couple of them that I think a lot of times get lost. I mentioned reflection earlier. We talk about the importance of reflection, but how many, how often, I don't know if you've ever heard of someone getting written up because they weren't reflective enough. Right. I mean, that would right. shock me. Like, no, you right. don't write someone up for that. You write them up because they're insubordinate because they didn't do their lesson plans or something like that. Right. But it says, if you're not reflecting, you're not doing all of teaching. And, and right. that's really the point is there's, it's so vastly complex and there's a mismatch between the complexity of teaching and the rights and privileges that are afforded the professionals that do this. Other professions, you know, are, are very complex and right. then there's a better match. My focus is on really how do we focus on deep learning and technology can, you know, enhance that in many ways or and sometimes it doesn't. It just kind of matters on the situation. So when you're actually thinking about when you brought me in, like what was some of the thinking behind that? to like why, like why at the time in Clover, we were talking about this, a lot of people, I talk a lot about change. A lot of your staff actually um, grew up there, went away for a couple of years and taught there. So, you know, maybe change is not their thing in some ways. So what was some of the thinking behind bringing me in to, to talk to your staff in the to, first place? Today, so our thinking for bringing you in to, and just to give it a little bit of context, uh, before the pandemic hit, our district, we were trying to dip our toes into personalized learning. And so we had a, a mini conference. Uh, it wasn't anything quite like the scale of what we did this summer. Right. Uh, but we had one because we were trying to dip our toes into it. And I will say, if I think back to those times before the that, we were really thinking about the what of personalized learning, like the flexible seating and that sort of thing rather than the who of personalized learning. And so the who of personalized learning is, is the kids and then of course their teachers. And so um, one of the things I think George that resonates in all your books is, is that that whole heart piece and the building, the connections is what resonates there. And so we, we wanted to give teachers the permission to understand Yes, we're we're focused on academics and we're focused on high standards and, and we're not ever saying that we're not. But before you can get to those pieces, you really have to connect with the kids and get at their heart. And so one of the things that I think everyone sees coming out of the pandemic is um, it, you've really got to work a little bit harder in building those relationships with students and making that connection with them. And so we felt like we needed to give our teachers some permissions to think about building connection and make building heart um, with your students and, and just and loving loving your students. And that's why we really thought about that. So today, this summer, the thought was focus on the kids and and the whole ownership and agency with the around the kids. And that was the thinking for this summer. Now, we're going to move on and, and we're going to do uh, some more connections because we already have a, a date on the calendar for uh, the 2023 mini conference. Mm -hmm. But in bringing you in, we were really trying to connect with our teachers' hearts to mm -hmm. show them we appreciate you. We love you. We thank you for what you're doing to support children. 
And we're going to work on how do we build those connections with kids. And, and what I, like what I love about that is the idea is it, it's not stops at relationships. Cause I think a lot of people get kind of, you know, when we talk about that, it kind of starts with that. Some people get a kind of like a fluffy feeling, right? Like it's just yes. like, Oh, we love the kids. And I'm, yeah, of course we love the kids. Right. right. But it's actually, it is actually to build that relationship. It is way easier to challenge kids, to push them, to get them to right. live. Right. When, when they, yes. when, when you're pushing them, and you know they they're they're not as nervous to fall because they know someone has their back. back. That's, That's part exactly of it too. Right. Like I'm actually I think years ago I wrote a blog post like saying like relationships are important but they're also not enough, right? It's it's exactly. the beginning of that um and then kind of moving forward. <laughs>